Hello, and welcome to Eagle Alpha's Profiting from Data podcast. Our podcast series focuses on the most important topics in alternative data with industry-leading experts as featured guests. Your hosts are Eagle Alpha subject matter thought leaders who lead these lively and informative discussions. Please enjoy this and all episodes of Profiting from Data. Hello there, it's Brendan Furlong, uh, Head of Data Sourcing and Advisory at Eagle Alpha, and welcome to the Property from Data podcast. On line with me today, I have Sensor Tower, and Max Warren is going to uh, lead the discussion uh, with myself. And so quickly, Max, I'm going to pass it over to you if you want to do a quick intro, and then we can take it from there. Yeah, great. Thank you ever so much for, for having us on. As you mentioned, Max Warren is is my name, and I'm the team director of sales for the EMEA vertical for Sensor Tower. I've had a couple of different roles within the alternative data industry. So, firstly, back in 2018, I was working with M Science as as their first ex US hire in a similar capacity with sales responsibility in the EMEA region, facing off to the buy side, and also similarly with Data AI. And I moved to Sense Tower around a year ago, just like my first year leading our sales efforts here at EMEA. Excellent. Thanks, Max. The, um, so I, I guess on that, I always start off these uh, podcasts with a look at somebody's LinkedIn profile. So you kind of preempted me there with your M-Science and Jada AI. Uh, so a lot of experience coming into the Sensor Tower. Maybe quickly, actually, I noticed on your LinkedIn profile as well that you're your undergrad was economics, so we have something in common there. But uh, that aside, um, DM science experience and then data AI. I mean, obviously, data AI, big overlap with Sensor Tower. I don't know how much you can talk about, you know, what uh, your experience was at data AI. We should probably just get that out of the way to start things off uh, as much as you can. I cannot say about that, uh, your couple of years working there. Yeah, I mean, the the product overlap between Sensor Tower and, and Data AI on the surface is obviously large. They're two of the biggest players in the industry. Both have good brand recognition and and suffice to say, probably even some client overlap in certain places. So there's a huge amount of similarity. I think the difference we, we can get into the differences a little bit more when we're talking about Sensor Tower and, and, and our product. But there's definitely some technical things that we like to kind of put forward in, in, in how we go about data sourcing, data analysis, things like that, that I can speak to from Sensor point of view in a bit more detail. So, yeah. Okay, perfect. Uh, so, I guess on, on that point, let, let's let's start off with the difference. You know, what's differentiated by Sensor Tower? Maybe get into your thoughts on the whole panel discussion, uh, opt-in yeah. panels, SDKs, et cetera. Yeah, so, so Sensor Tower is a mobile app intelligence provider, as, as probably lots of your listeners will know. We also have another product called Pathmatics, which is a market-leading digital advertising intelligence platform. Pathmatics became part of the, the Sensor Tower family back in 2021 and is certainly a, a differentiator for us. So one of the products that, that we've decided to invest in to complement the kind of historic mainstay, which is obviously mobile app intelligence. So that is one differentiator in terms of what our product suite looks like. As for panel, you mentioned panel. So it's another area that we spend 
a lot of time talking about we've been big believers in in the value of panel data and continue to be so and we we think that the approach to panel data is really important what i'm talking about is is first party data being the best in class route to obtaining good quality signals that are compliant that you have control over versus using third party inputs which we we actually don't use and there's a whole there's a whole host of reasons why we don't but accuracy and compliance are two two of the key ones so on the i guess on the well, well accuracy part is probably going to be the size of the panel and the the, the panel history uh, mm. so i guess you could talk about that and then on the compliance piece uh, the big part of that of your panel is is the opt-in nature of it. So maybe get into some of the details on that opt-in. And I mean, obviously, mm. opt-in has become even more important over the last few years. If you could get into that and why you see that as a, a as as you know, come from a compliance perspective, really, really important. Yeah, hugely important. Um, and one of the main reasons we do we operate our own panel, and, and what I mean by that is we have our own suite of panel apps that. We develop, we control, we invest in, um, that users can get genuine value from as a service. But we obviously harvest a very limited amount of data from them to help build our analytics products. Limited is an important part of that. Uh, We know it's limited because we're the ones that control what we collect versus having a, a third party or a middleman in between us telling telling us how they're treating the data from the users in the panel. Um, so we have certainty over that. And then you mentioned panel size. It's obviously something that we get asked about quite a lot. And we're, we're, we're pretty transparent. Our, our panel is kind of in the mid-single-digit millions of monthly active users across all of our panel assets. And size is an important factor in the quality of the signals that we get. But we think more important is composition of the panel how we invest in it what the users what the user kind of profile is how representative that is and and therefore how confident we can be in the signals that it produces so one of the things that we think we do well or maybe differently is investing in panel assets that are longer term focused and what i mean by that is rather than deploying or creating for example, a VPN type app, which is in demand, but can be the users of those types of apps can be very transient. So we've pivoted to investing in digital wellness type apps. So helping people manage their screen time, for example. And we're starting to see the benefits of that approach because the longevity of those users is 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 much better. And as far as we're concerned, kind of consistency in the data is important and the history that you mentioned we can only really get from a panel of users that have kind of a a long engagement time with us so rather than going for the kind of more short-term win we've we've invested over a a longer period and are starting to see real real dividends from that interesting and my doubt the the consistent panel is is an interesting point uh that you don't have panel volatility if you want to call it that think of a better word um Mm -hmm. But in terms of you, you mentioned the um, the composition and the profile and the representativeness of the panel, is there you know if you have a gap, let's say in in your 
panel. Is there a way for you to target certain demographics or certain people that you want to get certain regions, be it within the US or globally, uh, that you can go out and actually target people to get into your panel? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not the subject matter expert, but I, I can give you a, a sense of how we think about that. And we have an entire yeah, team yeah. whose who's responsibility it is for those type of remits and and we're constantly monitoring how our panel evolves and the good news is that we're seeing it grow and we're seeing kind of user stickiness going in in a positive direction which is important but as you mentioned there's always going to be areas where we we could do better and that's why we are constantly monitoring it plugging holes in certain markets is obviously what we want to do we're we're never ever going to say that any panel is absolutely perfectly representative and that's where um, our data science capability comes in. Again, um, <laughs> not a subject matter expert, but... You know, I understand, understand. Our, yeah. yeah, but having having more consistent usage in the panel just means that our data science team have a... Coming from a, a starting point that's stronger rather than weaker, whereas if you're dealing with a panel that's constantly changing and you've got users coming in and out um, on a regular basis, then it, it's not... It's obviously a lot more difficult to, to manipulate to get to good, accurate uh, signals. Signals, yeah. No, understood. I mean, it, it, it kind of leads on to a, a, another question to some extent. You know, the size of the data and being able to manage, let's call it data wrangling, data cleansing, normalization, making sure you have a consistent panel. Can you talk to that whole, that whole you know, the team that you have and, and you know, about that data wrangling piece and cleansing and normalization? So we, the most important factor for us is that our data is is, is normalised and and presented in a way where where investors can understand trends. We are far more confident in the directional read of our data, and by that I mean month over month or year over year type signal versus like an absolute number. Um, so we're focused on getting the the percentage change, if you like signals to line up and that indeed <laughs> requires a lot from our data science team i mean again probably uh not, not my subject i'm not the subject matter expert on that but we also monitor the accuracy of our output so mm. it's all well and good saying we, we do all of this wonderful stuff and we think our signals are great but we go an extra mile and and uh, honestly very honest with ourselves internally we have an insights team whose job it is to to keep track of what our data is saying versus publicly available benchmarks. So take a public company like Uber who reports a monthly active rider number, for example, and we can we can do the correlations and see what what is our MAU number for Uber saying. And we see some astoundingly accurate trends. And, and others are, are, are very good but need a bit more of an overlay to understand exactly what's going on because not every single business that, that we cover has a 100% app channel. Um, right. So there's a lot of honesty. And then if we do see areas where trends aren't quite right, we we knuckle down and, and do the grunt work and say, look, well, that doesn't that looks off. Why? And that means that and primarily it's our in, insights team responsibility and they have kind of the deepest understanding and, and highest level of expertise of translating 
the data that we present to our customers mm. um, into kind of meaningful insights for a particular app or a particular company. And listen, the uh, on that on that point of, of an insights team, data science team, do you uh, just that apart from working for yourself internally and making sure that the data is normalized and makes sense that there isn't anything strange in the data? Do the clients or potential clients have access to those teams to help them to help them with be it a trial to figure out if the if the data is useful or when they are a client, uh, help them with the domain knowledge and what have you? Yeah, let's let's split that in two. So our clients absolutely do have access and fairly regular interaction with our insights team. Two main mediums, I guess. One in that our insights team are constantly writing content that goes out to our customer base, a lot around earnings, particular trends that we're seeing in the market, a bit about what we're hearing. We're hearing lots about health apps, for example. So let's do a piece so that everybody kind of has eyes on, on on what our customers are talking about and what's popular. And then also kind of in an advisory capacity, as I said earlier, if you're looking at a particularly complex business, like a, I don't know, maybe say a Walmart or something, and you need some help in feeding the takeaways from the app data into an overall investment thesis, then there's lots of kind of quirks, should we say, um, mm. That are needed to, to to go into that, and our insights team and the people that kind of know those know those like the back of their hand. So that's for existing customers. They're an excellent resource, and we get great feedback on the work they do all the time. And then for you mentioned trials, we do offer. We we prefer not to call them trials. It's more evaluation. So we're not we're not okay. focused on on. I was saying, here's 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 the keys for a couple of weeks. Go and go and have some fun because we don't find those always to be particularly productive. What we prefer okay. to do is <clears throat> is help help our customers understand what the data is, how well it's performed historically, and how it could feed into their own investment process. And that will differ yeah. depending on on the customer type. Yeah. Um, from a from a quant, if you take a quant background, for example, a quant uh, investment style then it's going to be very much usually a slightly more arm's length discussion around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and, and we'll be a lot, there will be a lot more input from our data science team who help them understand how we take the data, um, mm. how they can construct a certain API calls to pull in the right metrics, what those how those metrics relate to each other. And we try to be as transparent as possible. I mean, that is one of the ingredients for a successful evaluation. And then on the other hand, you have a more fundamental investment style. So take a, a like a discretionary long short fund who are looking to understand how our data could help them improve their their picks in the tech space, for example. Right. Um, th- then that's when we'll 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 kind of open up our records on accuracy and things like that and help people understand in the past what signals they they could have taken into account when making their investment decisions so we, we there's a there's a variety of different ways that we can can help prospects yeah. understand our data but it really depends on their 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 particular objectives yeah listen i, I the, the, the long short discretionary multi-strat type uh buyer if you want to call it that a client uh mm. i can see walking them through and then you said that the nuances of some of the data the 
some of it, some of it can be messy at times and whatever. The quant guys generally is like, oh, give me all the data. We're, you know, we're we're smart data scientists. We can figure it out. But we or I get uh, you know feedback from a lot of vendors that there does need to be even handholding with the quants just to have that domain knowledge that they might miss things. You know, just to point out the some of the obvious stuff that they need to get stuck into. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you guys find that as well? Yeah, we definitely are used to dealing with very sophisticated people when it comes to dealing with data. And that's always a good starting point, but the, I think the context is always important. You can be a data expert, but app data is going to differ hugely from credit card data, for example, in, in, in lots of different ways. And, and having that layer of, here's a few kind of like ground rules for thinking about the data, working with the data. We find those type of evaluations where we have those conversations up front to be far more efficient. efficient yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a, mi yeah. a misconception that any evaluation is going to take months and drag on. And some of the, the best evaluations that we've done, that I've been privy to, have been maybe a week long at most. And oh, wow. from, both a, yeah. from both a quant and a fundamental point of view, if, if you're willing to get the right people in, on a call to to cover off the important topics and are willing to be open enough with uh, providing some data for testing and things, then then it can be very fast. Um, wow, that's amazing! But man. those 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 have to be there has to be a back and forth there, and right, and, and yeah. It, it, yeah, it saves time and effort on everyone's part. Yeah, I, I mean, as I say, I, I pick it up a lot from vendors that they wish the buy side quant community in particular would be more open to have. An open dialogue, particularly early at the early stages of the trial, um, that it's it's more likely to be successful if there is a back and forth. Uh, but mm -hmm. sometimes they just don't want to do that for whatever reason. But anyway, um, on on that point, uh, do you have any kind of back testing your own internal back testing that you share with clients, or as proof points of the data that you share with clients, or you just don't go there? No, we do absolutely. We think, and we think it's important. We we welcome being challenged on that point because, as I said earlier, what's what's the point of having all this, doing all this work with data if it doesn't doesn't yield any accurate insight? So we we actually are proponents of people digging into to accuracy checks, if you like, on the data. And we, as I said, we do our own. We do share those. We don't blast them out publicly. <laughs> because okay. sim similarly to doing evaluation, there's there's certain context that goes behind them and, and we we wouldn't want to mislead anyone, but it is possible to do. It's not as easy as chucking three numbers in a spreadsheet and comparing them to three others. Um, some some are, are close to being that easy, but for the majority there's there's always some context that is essential for you understanding what what that correlation analysis is saying. So we do, and we and we're 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 very open about it. We'll say to a prospect if we're in a sales cycle, let's let's sit down and and assess how accurate the data in X Y Z company that you're interested in has been. And often we've done that work, but from time to time we haven't, and we'll go away and do it. So I see. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you have some back testing correlations, etc. But as you say, they're not. They're not out there. You haven't written any white papers, let's call it. Um, but clients can get access to it, and you talk them through your methodologies and all the rest of it. Is there any Correct. examples 
let's say, just simplistically here on a, a long, short, you know, non-quant use case that you can share, you know, what you, where you think the, your data is most uh, effective, you know, have really high correlations or something. Mm. What are you, any examples you can share? Yeah, there's there's lots of really good examples where we're, we're super confident. And the reason that we'd be more confident in our, the accuracy of data is largely down to how many how many blind spots we're having to deal with. So if you take something like a Snapchat, which is almost entirely app only operating in in markets where we have good data coverage, then we're super confident in, in the read across because we're not having to solve for oh what's happening in the huge network of Snapchat physical right. stores, yep. which obviously right. don't exist. So there's examples like that. In socials, in gaming, streaming media, there's there's a whole long list of, of areas where what we'd probably call our bread and butter, but the long tail of areas where we can have give added value is, is actually growing. And that's the interesting part for me, to be honest. I mean, mm. our work okay. on on those the big guys is really important and it's hugely valued by our customers, but the that growing long tail is where I think we have the more interesting conversations. Um, say a, a customer comes to us and say, have you seen XYZ? For ex- Dexcom is a good example. It's a, a diabetes monitoring device. Okay. Um, and it's a very large listed business. And we've been recently been doing a lot of work on that with a, with a customer who's interested to understand the rollout of that product. And we're able to do that okay. because that product is linked to an app and Right, it's one of those things that we we ourselves don't even know we can we can add a huge amount of transparency on until someone someone asks a question. So, oh, um, understood. Yes, yeah. yeah. that's kind of an example of a less obvious use case that that can be hugely valuable. And in that use case, uh, I'm not familiar with the company, so excuse my ignorance, but uh, I assume they've had a business before the app universe arrived. Uh, they're just transitioning to becoming more app enabled. Is that it? And so then it's the question. Of how um, you yeah, it's option. a good question. I I think off the top of my head, I actually think that their their device, if you like, has always been linked to an app. It's a relatively young company, I think. I see. Um, but there are, to your point, there are examples of where businesses are pushing to become more mobile led, and yeah. you can yeah. you can see that even in like fast fashion, for example. They're they're all trying to push their users to interact in mobile and that's because you don't always have your desktop in front of you but you if you're on the train your mobile's in your pocket and you can have a flick through your favorite fashion brand they can be a little more targeted in the way that they interact with you um yeah. you can have kind of like hop from app to app with promotions it's it's a slightly more agile way of, of interacting with customers i'm not suggesting that like web tra- channels are going to disappear or anything but there's lots of incentives for businesses that aren't traditionally present in mobile to, to become present or increase their presence. Yeah, I mean, is there kind of on that point, uh, the ones that are maybe coming late to the app ecosystem, if you want to call it that, so less obvious examples of how your data could be used, you know, beyond the Snapchat and, and whatever, or the one you just, you know, we talked about there, to some extent it's obvious, uh, you know, you can, that it works with an app. Um, mm. 
is there any kind of, I mean, the, the app environment's been around for 10 years, let's call it. Um, is there anything in the, that, that they're coming late to the app environment that could possibly, well, tie yeah. back in? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely some, there's definitely some sectors where we're seeing a lot more kind of traffic, if you like, in mobile. So health is a big one. Dexcom, the company that I just mentioned, obviously fall yeah. into like a med tech bucket, but then wellness we spend a lot of time um mm. talking about wellness apps and, and wellness solutions that are either mobile first or or linked to mobile and health in general i think has just become uh especially for like venture capital and private equity investors that's been a really interesting area that's that's, that's definitely growing at pace you, there's all all kinds of weird and wonderful things that you can look at from I don't know, like logistics drivers sometimes have an app, so you, you could get into the consequences of that. Or certain large, like retail chains, they, they will have an mm. employee-only app, so you could kind of try and track like uh, their kind of headcount growth, if you like. So we're always discovering new new ways to new new companies, new sectors to look at. To be honest, but I'd say that health is definitely where there's there's emerging kind of new. Um, opportunities yeah and it's interesting you mentioned private equity venture capital there so beyond our quant long short equity multi-strat conversation from earlier um mm-hmm. how how do you see or how do how are your private equity clients as much as you can disclose how do they work with the data is it for discovery of new up-and-coming companies or is it for due diligence or how, how are your private equity clients yeah, it, it, from my experience, it tends to be a super deep due diligence on a on a company and its peer group and, and its sector, and that means that kind of the the relevance of app, the relevance of kind of the app economy, that bar tends to be often a bit lower because we're, they're looking at very large businesses that would be a very large investment, and even if they have like a five percent of their customer base interacting with them via mobile and they want to know exactly what that landscape looks like so it tends to be doing like a really deep dive into the due diligence process and and from experience i mean the private equity community tend to know exactly what they're looking for but they understand that they need a partner that can provide them with something that is got a high degree of confidence in terms of its accuracy so Mm. we we spend a lot of time of and have to get quite creative to to demonstrate ways in which we ways in which we can be confident in our accuracy in particular yeah i mean it it seems uh, for the private equity seems like a very kind of obvious use case more on the more of a fundamental type use case but very obvious that the private equity vc guys should be all over your data uh, or Mm -hmm. data in general um Mm -hmm. but if they are or our experience that they're a little bit behind where the public markets are in terms of the use of data in general. The um, kind of uh, a couple of last questions from me here, we're, we're almost out of time. The, I, I, a lot of our buy-side clients are asking about the data vendors in general, how they're using their current data set or their, you know, their, their historical data. Are they starting to bring in any uh, AI machine learning you know, open AI, chat GPT type functionality into it and maybe plans for the future on that. Do you mm. any any sense of what 
uh, sensor towers doing USA and AI and machine learning, or is it just sticking to the netting? Yeah, good question. Um, well, I, I know that there's there's definitely been a few uh, a few solutions that we've implemented, kind of behind the scenes to help increase the efficiency of some of our processes. A good example relates to our Pathmatics, our digital advertising data set. As part of the data collection process, we we capture ad creatives across lots of different channels and and tag them to with various different metrics, the company, the type of ad. And historically that was done manually. So we've we've implemented some some AI techniques, AI-driven techniques to to take the kind of labor burden out of that process, which is a, a a very big process so that's a good example uh, i expect that we will see more and more of those types of solutions being implemented we are a data company first and foremost so like excellence in our data science team is it's crucial to our product success and yeah i see that there's probably going to be some opportunities to, to, to leverage yeah, AI in the future yeah it makes sense it's actually a, a question from um the beginning of the conversation you alluded to again there were pathmatics you said pathmatics was kind of a a bit of a unique uh, to sensor tower you know that acquisition from several years back do you find or is is that for your do you find that's going into your corporate clients or do you find the asset manager pe guys using that pathmatics data or is it just a corporate use case at the moment no it's definitely there's definitely use cases across corporates and investors some of the use cases for investors are perhaps a little less obvious, so uh, are kind of take a bit more time to stumble upon. But we are seeing take up in the investment community. There are really complementary insights in there. So if you think, if we take Snapchat again as an example, we can from our sense tower data we can tell you who's using it, how often, whether that's user base is going up or down, and where it's coming from, etc. But we can also say from our Pathmatics data set, who's advertising on Snapchat? Who are Snapchat's ad customers? What kind of ads are they displaying? What other channels are they advertising on? So TikTok is obviously a huge topic and there was some concern that that Snapchat would be losing some of its ad customers to TikTok and we can do those sorts of analyses. So it's a very powerful data set and it will certainly be a large component of of our product roadmap as we go forward. Excellent. Yeah, no, listen, it was a, it was a, an interesting acquisition and, and potentially interesting. The, the, the synergies between the two companies could be, could be quite interesting. Um, I think I'm, I'm about done, uh, Max. I don't know if you have anything else. I think we've, we've gone through a lot here. If there's anything else you want to add or we will knock it on the head. And yeah, no, I think we've covered uh, covered a lot of topics in, in a, a relatively of short amount of time. So, yeah, very grateful for you having us on. Um, yeah. Hope we've been able to offer you a little bit of an insight into what's going on in yeah. in, in our world. Perfect. Max, I appreciate the, the, the input. And so uh, thank you for joining our Processing with Data podcast. And we'll chat to you soon. Cheers. Good luck. Thanks, Thanks Brendan. That's a wrap for this episode of Profiting from Data. Thank you for listening. This podcast series is brought to you by Eagle Alpha, the pioneer in alternative data. 
To learn about Eagle Alpha solutions for data vendors and buyers, please visit eaglealpha.com.